This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 152 about Jessica Jones season 2 episode 13 aka Playland. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 152 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are talking about episode 13 of Jessica Jones Season 2, a.k.a. Playland! Yay! Jump in the ball pit! Yay! (laughs) Playland's supposed to be a fun place, John. Get on the Ferris wheel. Maybe don't go on the Ferris wheel. No, maybe don't. Bumper cars, spinning teacups, waltzers, roller coasters... We are here looking at and discussing the final episode of Season 2 of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Playland. And I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm not ready to let this go. I know, it's going to be terrible. And I am your final host, Chris, rounding out our beautiful trio. Yes, the beautiful three amigos are here, uh, ready to do our... uh, 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 Courtesy of that fantastic film by... The, the same name, The Three Amigos. We will be getting into our spoiler-filled review, but first a few points. As always, you can head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com to access absolutely everything with regards to Defenders TV Podcast. You can subscribe there. You can leave voicemail. You can send a comment. You can send an email, feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Um And the only thing you can't do on our website is obviously uh, join our Facebook group. But of course, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Although I do see nodding from Derek, which means you can (laughs) access it via our website. So please head on over there and especially please subscribe to the podcast. Rate us, leave a review, uh, share the love, share the podcast. Absolutely. And we know we have a bunch of our, of our fellow defenders who join us for the first and last episode of the season. So you may have missed out our little special offer that's going on with Stitcher, which we've been talking about during the season. Not every episode, but uh, we didn't have it available when we did our episode one of Jessica Jones season two. So if you want to get a free month of Stitcher Premium on us, Go over to stitcher.com slash premium and use our code DEFENDERS. It's a great way to help the podcast and you get a free month of Stitcher Premium. Why do you want Stitcher Premium? Because the first and absolutely excellent Marvel scripted podcast about Wolverine called Wolverine the Long Night is available over on Stitcher. The first six episodes are now released. Uh, I've been listening along and it is, but has been absolutely brilliant. I really hope that it becomes successful and we get tons of marvel scripted podcasts coming out they're really really enjoyable yes it's been absolutely fantastic and of course poppets uh use the code uh of defenders when you look to get your free month worth of stitch premium i was just channeling my inner pirates of the caribbean um yes pop it (laughs) but before we get into the episodes we have feedback from our listeners Chris, take it away. Yes, over on Facebook, when we were talking about episode eight, Mike in Cleveland said, episode eight is probably the best of the season so far. I kind of like Murder Mummy now. In my opinion, season two is hurting from the lack of real nemesis for Jessica to this point. The season plot so far seems pretty much aimless right now. It's as if the showrunners have borrowed the plot of the Jerry Seinfeld show and made it the dark, dramedy, 
the Jessica Jones show, a superhero show about nothing. I'm getting worried now that the true purpose of season two has to be to turn someone close to Jessica evil. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, yes, pretty much. We have seen a split or two of uh, personalities and people and allegiances and so forth. So uh, definitely now in episode 13, at the end of the season, we have seen the uh, end of nice people and beginning of questionably evil people. But we will get into that later. Thanks so much for that feedback, Mike. Over on Facebook as well, we got some feedback on our episode 11 review podcast about AKA Three Lives and Counting. Uh, Tina Brown said, great podcast, guys. Really got me thinking about season three baddies. Do you think they might try to bring back those other experiment subjects that were on the flash drive with Kilgrave? Let's hope. That would be really cool because to an extent we have felt that IGH is done, but there is a lovely gory body of work that they leave behind, which Mm -hmm. can be uh, mined for... Lovely supervillains that do horrible things. Yeah, definitely some potential for season three. Also over on feedback for episode 11, our review, uh, Ronaldo says, absolutely freaking great episode, guys. So many good points and considerations that I never picked up on in the initial watch. Exactly the reason why I listen to Defenders TV podcast. Articulate, clear, concise commentary. Well, at least some of the time, Ronaldo, of course... He goes on to say, he makes me want to rewatch the episode again. Loved the investigation into clarifying whether Jessica Jones flies or leaps. And yes, I am with Derek on this. The reason Kim Ping works so well in Daredevil Season 2 is because we never saw it coming. That's in reference to obviously Kilgrave uh, being slightly spoiled ahead of time uh, before he came back in episode 11. Um, yeah, totally agree with you, Ray. I think when Marvel do their moments of shocking revelations, like... I think the reference there from Ray it was, works quite well. Like the reveal that Mandarin was just a puppet, I think it works really well in, in some of in some of their shows and movies. So if they kept that reveal of Kilgrave back, the season would have had that extra dimension that it probably needed uh, in in those episodes. I know it felt a little felt a little bit flat for you, Chris. It really did, yeah. Um, and if our fellow defenders are questioning what I'm talking about. Go back and listen to our episode 11 review for all of the gory details, because yes, this one fell slightly flat. Uh, but Ray, you have not told us whether you believe JJ flies or leaps, so please come back to us in the comments, because you know you're going to say on my side, it's flying but badly. No, we've confirmed that that she could fly if she wanted to, but she doesn't want to. I know. That's where that final investigation came to an end in uh, episode 11. So we were both right, Chris. It's all good. It's all thank good. you. Thank you. <laughs> we also got some feedback on episode 12, a.k.a. Pray for My Patsy. Claire Payne says, loved Jerry's Revenge in this episode. Great ending with Patsy's life on the edge. Yes, Tina Brown also came in to say, I'm not sure Jerry was necessarily a softer character in Iris. I think she just liked Danny. Plus, their relationship was formed so long ago that we don't know if Jerry may have been more open person back then. And Danny would have been a kid, not a threat, a business associate, a lover or a rival. That dynamic is different to any we've seen so far in Jerry, and she may simply be different with him than with anyone else. But I feel like the essential Jerry is much the same, and I'd like to say it was good to see her embrace it. Thank you, Tina. And I definitely agree. I just think there's a different dynamic with Danny Rand, whether it's because she's known him longer since childhood um, or that he's absolutely loaded and will spend a lot of money on um, her law firm. Yes. Uh, Also, Robert Phillips 
uh, on episode 12 says, first things first, how the heck did they manage to put Trish in the only hospital in the universe without suicide prevention locks on the windows? We're lucky if we get five centimeters of air gap, let alone a swing open plate glass pane. Um, <laughs> yes, Dr. Bob um, knows a few things about opening and closing windows for sure in hospitals. And uh, yeah, interesting. Even if it was just a five centimeter gap, she may have just smashed her way through it. True, true. Possibly. I, I guess these are the things you can pay for when you're a person like Patsy. Yes, opening windows. Robert Phillips goes on, Second, the Jerry arc is as sharp as always. As she says, her trust is hard to win, but we can see it has great rewards and perils. I think Danny Rand is just so boyish and pure of heart that she actually likes him. I think that's the case, yeah. I think she's just got a soft spot for his wallet, um, <laughs> as well as his charming personality, of course. I love it. Both Tina and Robert are trying to say it has nothing to do with his wallet. It's to do with the family connection <laughs> with know. them. And your response to them, both of them, is, and his wallet, of course. <laughs> but we do see here that she does like yoga, so maybe she is also connected in uh, to her spiritual side. It may be that she likes yoga, or it may be that she likes the yoga instructor. Yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> I think everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And third and finally, uh, Robert Phillips says, I'm so glad I'm not in a mother-daughter relationship. They seem very, very, very difficult. <laughs> yes, I think this one has been fairly difficult for sure mm -hmm. uh, between Alyssa and Jessica. Um, it's certainly not without its ups and downs mm -hmm. um, and rounds and rounds and backwards and forwards and sideways. Yeah, Definitely yeah. complicated. And Dorothy and Trisha's relationship isn't exactly a barrel of laughs either. No, and uh, to be honest, when I think of my mother and sister's relationships, I'm just glad it's not me. <laughs> Only joking. Thank you, Robert, so much for the feedback and to everyone else for all their feedback uh, on episodes uh, 11 and 12. There. It's been really good to hear your thoughts across the whole of this season um, and across all of the episodes. It's been really, really good. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to put your thoughts down and to, uh, as Captain Picard said, engage uh, it's really really good absolutely thanks so much for all that feedback we'll have a bit more feedback about the entire season at the end of this episode but i think it's time to get into it yes derek get into it what are some of the episode details Yep, this episode was written by Jesse Harris and the teleplay was by Melissa Rosenberg, the showrunner. Uh, Jesse was a writer's assistant on Jessica Jones season one, so she's been just taken up the ranks and brought into a main writer on the show in, uh, in this season. That's great and news. big leads. So basically going from assistant all the way to basically getting the, the ending episode, tying mm -hmm. everything up. Exactly. It is really cool, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's really, really cool. The episode was directed by Uta Breitwitz, uh, who directed Jessica Jones, episode season one, episode 11, which was I Got the Blues, and the Iron Fist episode season one, episode five, Underleaf Pluck Lotus, and she did Defenders episode five, Take Shelter, which was one of my favorite episodes of the Defenders. Really, really good to see her back for Jessica Jones. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Suffering from a severe headache, Jessica wakes up in the back of her mother's stolen RV. She finds herself again torn between resisting Alyssa and sending her to the raft, or to help her mother to become a better person. After saving a family caught in a traffic accident, reminiscent of her own experience as a child, Jessica decides to help her mother escape to Canada. 
Back in New York, Malcolm continues the investigation of Chow and Benowitz that leads to a nice windfall and a new partnership with Price Chang and Hogarth. Whilst Trish Walker wakes up and begins to recover from her ordeal at the hands of Carl Malice. But with renewed vigour, she becomes hell-bent on tracking Alyssa to save Jessica. But just as Alyssa realises that she needs to give herself up to protect her own daughter at a familiar amusement park, Playland, the world comes crashing down tragically for Jessica as Trish attempts to become a hero. With the loss of her mother, Jessica takes the blame but does not forgive Jessica for her actions. As Jessica, Malcolm and Trish drift apart, Trish discovers reflexes she never knew she had, Malcolm embraces his new job, and Jessica embraces a new normal life with her super Oscar and his son Vito. Oh, super Oscar. That's, that sounds like something out of uh, Sesame Street, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Sesame Jessica, though? Probably can't see that. No. But chaps and chapesses, let's get into our top five case notes. Of course, as always, it's spoiler-filled discussion. Uh, but with our first case note, Road Trip. Derek, take it away. Yeah, this is kind of the central point of the entire episode, really. It's all about Alyssa knocking Jessica out and dragging her. Effectively, she would have been kicking and screaming if she wasn't uh, wrapped up in the back of the of the RV. But they're going on a road trip, but the plan is really to either go to Mexico or to Canada. Um, there seems to be no definitive answer as to where it's going, I suppose, at the beginning of the episode. Um, but they have the back and forth conversation between both Jessica and Alyssa as to what Jessica can do. One of the things I've kind of had in my notes, but one of the things I really liked about this back and forth between the two of them is that Jessica goes through the list of things that she could possibly do at this point um, to take out Alyssa, which kind of reminded me a little bit of season one and her challenges to Kilgrave, where she tried everything, trying to put him into prison, tried to do everything she possibly could. And the only resolution that she got to it at the end of season one was to kill Kilgrave. This time around, she's got her list of things that she could do, which was, well, maybe she could turn Alyssa in again. Maybe she could jump out of the car. She could stomp on the brakes. She could take the steering wheel. She could call the National Guard. And all of these, the answer that comes from Alyssa is, but you never once thought, could you work with me? Could the two of us work together? So a kind of a, an interesting moment where we have the two of them having this conversation about what does Jessica do? She feels like she can't really kill her, kill her own mother. That doesn't feel like something that she wants to do. So... What could she do? And obviously, one of the big moments happens in the episode. We have the car crash on the road. Um, so that kind of spurs on the decision for Jessica as to what she wants to do. Yeah, I mean, I love these two characters together. I love the dynamic and interaction that they have. I, I mean, I, th- I thought it was really, really good. And I, I did like the the point where they team up to save um, the the family that has be- got itself into a, a traffic accident. Obviously, you know, this is a raw memory for both Alyssa and for, for Jessica, and mm-hmm. they come together. And th- this moment where Jessica ultimately decides that, well, hang on, you know, I calm my mother down. She is wanting to do good things and help people, which is what Jessica has always seen herself as the person uh, and, and what she does. I thought that was really, really good. I I suppose one of the things here for me that I kind of still just wish they hadn't kind of over-egged that pudding with regards to shall I go with Alyssa, shall I not, shall I put her in the raft, shall I not. I, I felt as though these conversations had happened before and so I was really pleased when 
It was that they were working together and it was in that moment that Jessica uh, decided that she wanted to help her mother uh, to to escape from uh, the, the arms of the law. Because at the end of the day as well, yes, Alyssa is a killer and, and was a murderer, but she has been made that way effectively. It's not as such what she wants to do. And I think you get that sense from her in this conversation where she wants to start anew and she wants to build a new life. And she even says to make a, a, you know, atonement for what she has done. She wants to go and help people. She wants to head off to a war zone uh, and, and help people uh, to save them from death, to better their lives, that kind of thing by helping them out. So, so I really enjoyed um, th- this road trip. Uh, as well i did feel a bit sorry for oscar being called in for the you know the 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 small time forgery that seems to be his profession uh in in the eyes of jessica mm-hmm. um again uh, i, I kind of wish maybe they had just tried to make that run for it because ultimately you know they don't end up at the border i don't necessarily think that he needed to be there for for this scene i think it made it important for later on and obviously that ending just to get that reminder of oscar uh, and what he he means to jessica's life certainly but again it, it did feel for me a little bit okay we need forged documents let's bring in oscar okay. um yeah so but ultimately i, I like the road trip feel to this um for sure i i do like that they called it out i like that jessica said i could have just text you the photos on my phone could have done that but he says i wanted to see you i wanted to see what was going on with you um it's also nice to have for me again just i really like the fact that they have that back and forth between the two of them where he's going he's questioning her decisions she hasn't hasn't got anybody around her now to question her decisions and she's got a mother who's forcing her effectively to go with her so having that moment with oscar kind of gives her a little bit of a breather from Alyssa allows her to kind of think about is she doing the right thing and explain it and justify it to the only other person that's in her life you know i like that that conversation comes out of um the desperation of jessica to get these documents for both of them and oscar kind of questioning her and going you've got other people in your life you've got your own life you know Alyssa has said to her that she doesn't have a life and jessica's starting to believe that once again being convinced by her mother that she is a bit of a mess up you know same way that dorothy used to do to her whereas you've got oscar going but you've got myself and Vito now. Maybe we can make something of our life. And that's when it clicks with Jessica. She goes, but you always connect yourself with your son all the time. You've got to understand that now my mother only connects her life with me. So there's a really nice moment of parallels between the two of them just by having Oscar in that scene and just by having Oscar in that moment. And I, I do like the fact that Jessica goes, you shouldn't be here, just like you're effectively saying. So they do have a moment of justifying him being there and it's a great moment i think yeah i mean i think it's important for later on to really reconnect jessica to that character because again he's maybe not got as much screen time to 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 sell that relationship possibly maybe a phone call could have done that um i you know or something like that again you know it's on the basis that he has the painting in in jessica's uh, apartment mm-hmm. um so i mean i have no problem with what happened it was just i felt a little shoehorned but i understood at the end why it needed to be there mm-hmm. I, and i don't think it was there just for the end of the episode chris what's your thoughts on on this on the road trip yeah so I, i've been a bit quiet on this one for a reason 
I well, aside from the great power comes great responsibility quote, I was quite happy with that. We've seen this before. This was the Kilgrave piece compassed. The only defining factor was that Jessica doesn't want to kill, so this is why she goes through all these checklists. I can do this because I don't want to kill. I don't want to mm-hmm. be the killer. So I can see why they did it. I was really annoyed by the car crash scene, and not because of the scene, but because that was the first photo that was given out by Netflix as an official set photo, where Jessica's holding up the, the trailer uh, to mm-hmm. help the mother. So I was expecting this. Uh, I think we talked about it in the last episode that we still hadn't seen that green scene, and I guess now we got it. Taking it to the very beginning of the road trip, Jessica's excuse for staying with her mother is still so, I don't know, not wishy-washy. She has opportunities to call the cops. There's no, there's no full rationale as to why she just stays. We find out at the end there is, like, that it's her mother. She feels tied, and that's only because Oscar literally calls it out. So I felt they could have just done a bit more to it. Okay. Do I like that Alyssa wants to become a hero? Yes, that's a nice arc. Is she still a crazy murderer? Yes. So it's kind of like, uh, I would have preferred to see her go full-on evil versus come back to the mother part. Oh, like, right. I think okay. we talked about her being the pure mad, like having a break in her, in her psyche and just going mad, going on a rampage. And then it's up to Jessica to try and talk her down. She has that split second, like, I'm back, and then someone shoots her. Like, that's what I was hoping for. This kind of just pulled her back into being the loving mother, making her a hero, quote-unquote, and then the ending, which we'll talk about later. Moving it over to Oscar, John, I'm not 100% with you on this. I I agree that it felt shoehorned in... But I liked having him there because we haven't seen much of their relationship developing, especially to get to where we want at the end of this episode, which we can talk what we'll talk about in one of our later case notes. They needed more screen time with him. They needed to deepen the relationship. And that's really what this is. But in a good way, I felt that he does care for her. It comes across in the actor's acting that the, the, the character of Oscar cares for Jessica. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I liked then how the painting brought the cops and as stupid as it was Jessica's getaway bit was fantastic just running behind (laughs) the truck yeah I I, I really wanted her just to be holding onto the side of it kind of Mm -hmm. thing like just like no one saw me or doing one of those old switcheroos so it looks like she's done behind that and then you see all the cops chase the truck going, ah, and they jump inside and look and she's actually in a different truck going the opposite direction or something. I was hoping more for that. It was also great that it was uh, a door-to-door dumpster truck as well, <laughs> that it dropped her off right next to the gravel pit that she needed to be at. And I really hope they don't interrogate Oscar for information because she did give a big clue to where they were because she said her mother's off-site. Get it? It's a site where there's work going on. <laughs> so I just thought it was, she was giving a little bit too much information in her words of off-site to, uh, to Oscar. And you'd think they'd be listening to them. Like, that's it, the cops, there's a what, like six cops in that diner? Yeah. Okay, I get that she calls it out that they're waiting for me and my mother to come, so or I'll bring them back to her. They're waiting to follow her, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I'm more like, no, cops are probably would pinch you and then interrogate you until you tell them. 
Mm. That's probably more how they would do Remember, it. Remember, they know who Jessica Jones is and know her powers. I probably wouldn't pinch Jessica or go anywhere near her without uh, express permission from Jessica, to be honest. That is very true. Yeah, there's just one other thing from this road trip as well that I like. I really, really enjoyed was where Alyssa actually the penny drops for her that she knows that she will bring her daughter down as well. Um, that moment in the in, in the camper van where she turns off the the engine, uh, and, and you you hear Jessica I think speaking with Costa at the time. That moment she realizes that she kind of needs to put that distance between her daughter because otherwise she is also going to go down with her mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately spurs um, her on to going to this, you know, f- the familiar place that is Playland. So that I thought was a really nice moment. I've really enjoyed Janet McTeer and Kristen Ritter and their interaction. I think this w- was a really kind of nice one. It wasn't direct, but it was just her reacting to Kristen being uh, in the back of the camper van and the expressions that Janet McTeer does um, with her face to convey um, that choice that she's made, even though it goes against everything that she had been saying in the lead up to that, yeah. I think was just so, so good. It's just that moment of realisation. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really well played. Uh, and I have to say, and I know we haven't really talked about the actual car crash itself. The car crash was fantastic. I loved the jeopardy that they included with the exploding barrels that were flying up into the air and could land back down on top of anybody. It was just, it was perfect. It was like having, I don't know, dirty bombs right in the middle of the, in the middle of the road, you know? I also loved the showing how powerful um, Alyssa is as well, right beside Jessica. Jessica lifting up a little bit of the trailer and then reaching out and can't reach out far enough to, to take the wife of the family um, by the hand and, in walks Alyssa and just throws the whole thing over in just one swift move, you know? So obviously much more powerful than Jessica. A nice little revelation there. Yeah. A hundred percent. I actually was hoping we could kind of talk about that because I loved this car crashing. Mm. I loved everything they did. One part maybe, the part where she's running back to the vehicle, I'm like, oh, they're going to explode it and she's going to be blown backwards. Mm -hmm. That happens in every action film. They completely made up for it, mm-hmm. completely, with the heart-wrenching, tugging-on-your-heartstring scene where Christian Ritter is kind of pulling her mother up and embracing her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was and super. just the tears streaming down. I'm just like, that. no reason why that got to me, but it got to me. I'm just like, oh, okay, you made up for it. It was just like, I was like, oh, God, you're really doing that kind of run back towards the explosion and get blown back and then potentially your mother's dead and she's not really dead. And I'm like, okay, fine, yeah. Yeah, we all know that play. But then coming back and then just giving us that just very poignant scene a couple of seconds later, just where it's a mother and daughter embracing. They, this, That's the turning point for Jessica. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is, okay, I nearly lost my mother again. I will do anything to keep my mother out alive. Yeah, that was that was so good. Okay, I think on to case note number two. Mm-hmm. Um, Frankenstein Patsy wakes up. <laughs> yes, the monster rises from her hospital bed, but there is another monster by her side in the form of her mother, Dorothy Walker. 
whose bedside manner blows. I spent all of my time watching this scene, <laughs> just taking down the quotes of Dorothy and what she's saying to Patsy. She's absolutely horrible to her. Um, you know, Patsy's saying, I need to go and save Jessica. She's going, what's a failed radio, radio personality going to do? And then she goes, do you accept that you've royally screwed up everything in your life? I can think of a hundred great things about you, but Hero is not one of them. Ah, uh, maternal honesty. I, I also just love the fact it was like, chish, chish, chish. She just runs over, like, nose to nose, Patsy! Yeah. I just... <laughs> Ding! This whole exchange just made me laugh so, so much. Um, it was just just everything about it. The, the dialogue coming from Dorothy Walker, the kind of continually rolling eyes of trish walker Mm -hmm. the kind of even the nurse who was there as you say chris who you know he's just kind of rubbing trish's uh chest to to kind of wake her up gently and dorothy shouting patsy uh you know and really um jolting her out of her uh her sleep i suppose or her recovery uh it was really really good um i love that dorothy finishes her her final win against against trish where she goes and they need a stool sample and a urine stool sample and that walks away as if she's now her little girl again uh, she's down with down at the local gps and she's making her do exactly what the gps want her to do so um it's really good i suppose to see this because at the end of the last episode what we saw was obviously trish convulsing on the bed we didn't know what that meant whether she was going to jump out of the bed with superpowers put the bed sheet around her like a cape and run out the door to save jessica or was it did it mean she was going to die we didn't really know at the end of of the last episode so um, it's interesting that she wakes up and is still as concerned for jessica as as she uh, had been in the past considering what jessica done to her and and the final conversation the two of them had i agree i would have loved to see patsy jump on the bed wrap the like the cloth around her and just suddenly fly that would have been amazing there's a patsy shaped hole in the wall <laughs> just kind of like with cartoon just like the one arm up one arm down two legs at the side now that's a psychological break right there yeah exactly <laughs> i do like this the bit that kind of again brings me back to dorothy is dorothy talking about everything she's going to do to get everything back on track again mm-hmm. and all the pr and blah 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 and you're essentially seeing the sliding of the relationship these two have had back to square one. Yeah. And it's interesting to see, again, beautifully sets up the last five minutes of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that that whole parent-child bond here, in this case with with two mothers um, and, and two daughters, both with their own issues... Uh, some more murderous than others. Um, but certainly, you know, that's a massive theme uh, through this last episode. Uh, and it's really interesting to see that that play out. And of course, yeah, it leads to some fantastic dialogue uh, at the end. But obviously, we'll get to, uh, to that uh, in, in one of our other notes. But uh, it, it, it is really just so, so good. But again, I think Dorothy Walker has just been really good in this um, season and I've really enjoyed every time she's been on screen she is she's you know larger than life really in terms of what she's doing you know it's part of the reason why Trish is successful um, and really here yeah it, it's kind of going back to we need to get your career um, back on track I, I love the line as well where she goes I can think of a hundred great things about you but Hero ain't one of them, yeah. which is just so good. But we do get hints here as well, I think, 
um, of the fact that Trish has pulled through from her convulsing and contorting. Like the nurse does say the virus has completely gone you know, and does hint at the fact that this is a really quick recovery uh, from Trish Walker. So you kind of get hints as to what happens later on in, in this episode. So I, I like that. I mean, it's only in seeing that final um, scene that maybe some of these things resonate as being a little hint that, you know, okay, she, you know, last time we saw her, she was convulsing, she her eyes were rolling, she was having to be sedated, probably something being done to her, and now, okay, she's still looking pretty rough, I have to say, I mean, props on the makeup, uh, but she's coming out fighting, I love the fact that she's, you know, she wants to just discharge herself immediately and she's really put in her place by her mom again some great little interaction between these two uh, actors as well so um i think patsy waking up and that bedside banner of dorothy really really good the one question i did have from this is they do not follow up on the the poison in her veins that the nurse talks about the changes that were made is she, it said, she says it's burning away or something, I'm paraphrasing, but we get no follow-up to the octopus DNA or the animal DNA being put into her. Right. The poison. And I'm like, do you think that's kind of what they talk about? Oh my God, you're awake after coming out of a coma for no reason. Like, you would think that's something they would go outside of. Give me a stool sample and a urine sample, please. Be like, okay, we're going to put you in MRI. We're going to put you through all of this X, Y, and Z. <laughs> she doesn't look at death's door like she did previously. Mm-hmm. So you'd go, oh, my God, are you powered? And we'll get to that later. But I'm like, I would have just hoped a bit more line from the doctor kind of going, yeah, we're going to have to monitor you for a couple of days because we still have no idea what's going on. But in fairness, Chris, whether a doctor in an urban hospital their first test would be to look for other animal DNA. <laughs> Might not necessarily happen. Because she says she's going to run the test, the blood test, and they yeah. still need to figure out what this this is. But we presume it's octopus DNA. Yeah, no, it was just more... Later on, we get jumped ahead a couple of weeks, days forward. Um, I would have liked a Dr. Patsy scene for like 30 seconds going, yeah, we, we, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. You have a couple of scars, a bit more exposition okay. on just that part, but they may do that in season three. Yeah. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. I have, I have a feeling they may be safe enough for the next time we, we see an appearance of Trish. I think um, there is that moment as John, as John mentioned, where the nurse says she's recovered much faster than she should have. And she's going to do some more tests, but she doesn't get to do them because of um, the interruption because case note three is the interruption. It's Costa calling. Your order's up. We all love coffee. Yes, Detective Costa uh, does interrupt all proceedings. Uh, becomes a very central character, really, in this episode. And rightly so. Uh, his, his partner, Detective, got uh, killed by Alyssa. When she was going to kill Trish, she took out Detective Sunday instead. Um, so rightly so, he inserts himself into all of their lives here. Firstly, the mobile phone that's left behind by the family that Jessica and Alyssa have, have saved... Well, they've gone to the de- detective and he now has their number and he's tracking them uh, using that. So quite a big uh, insertion there. Um, the reason why Alyssa decides that they're, that she's done with this and she's only going to get Jessica killed is because she overhears the voice conversation that Costa has with Jessica. Um, 
that's her moment of realization. If it wasn't for Costa effectively talking her down and explaining the whole situation, Alyssa may have gone through with it and, and taken Jessica uh, to another country. So uh, quite a significant. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he is the ignition that brings um, these three combustible ladies together. Really, um, it is oxygen, heat, and fuel. Mm. It really is. And I wonder if he knew that. Trish was lying because you really got the sense from how um, it was played by Trish Walker that she, you know, she knew some information. She knew that as soon as he mentioned the the county that the the checkpoint had been and that that the accident, she knew there was something there that had held significance for Alyssa and for Jessica. And, and we had it earlier in the season where uh, Alyssa talks about the the fairground and the rides that she went on at being kind of a, a, a stubborn teenager, not wanting to, to have fun with her parents. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she got on the ride, she was kind of footloose and fancy free kind of thing. So this was a nice moment. And of course, yeah, it leads to um, a pretty tragic uh, moment. Yeah, absolutely. Like, obviously, any good detective knows if you're going to ask somebody about the background of Jessica, it's got to be Trish. And he knows that Trish has to know if there's some connection, if there's somewhere that they're running to up north, it's got to be Trish. Um, Whether he knows that that Trish is going to go off and do what she does, well, he doesn't because... He blames Jessica instantly, so uh, he never thought Trish was involved in this at all. So he never connected that Jess- that Trish might go running off to get Jessica. He just expected that potentially she would actually turn on Jessica or help him out to get back Alyssa because, well, she should know how dangerous Alyssa is to Jessica, you know? I completely agree with you. The, you do not need to be the finest in NYPD to see that Trish is lying. Like, he's plastered on her face, and I'm <laughs> yeah. a bit like... Okay, he knows that. So, I took it that he followed Trish. Yes, I did. Because they arrive so quickly to Playland. And if we're under the assumption that he doesn't follow Trish, then this armed SWAT team is just roaming the area. And then suddenly, like five minutes after the lights are turned on on the playground, which could be anything, they arrive. Mm-hmm. Because he has no under, no knowledge of Playland, if you think about it. He just, they're roaming an area. So I basically take it that he follows Trish. Right. He does this. He go, They get there a few minutes behind her because they're following her. Because mm-hmm. that fatal thing that happens literally happens within three minutes max. So that could be them being a couple of minutes behind. And I think he just does it that, okay, Trish wasn't here. He he does blame Jessica, but it's not how I took it. Right. It's very obvious to me that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm, again, making an assumption based on kind of preconceived notions. But I think it's just, it was all too structured. It is a really good catch, yeah. There is the point that is made by Jessica that they can't go down every single side street in the entire city. Uh, they just need to find somewhere to hide out, a big car park to park the car. That's partly the reason why Alyssa thinks of Playland as well is because Jessica says we need to go somewhere, a big car park, just to drop off this RV and get another form of transportation. It's part of the reason why Jessica goes along with it effectively because Alyssa's following her instructions. So, yeah, I didn't catch it at all. I just assumed that it was the fact they have roadblocks on all the major roads. Something huge happens like the middle of the night, the playground lights go on, the Ferris wheel starts turning Maybe we should go investigate that. Perhaps that's where they've gone, you know. But you're absolutely right. It could could absolutely be the following Trish. 
Yeah, I, I took it as um, him effectively laying that Easter egg hunt mm-hmm. really for for himself to follow Trish. But Chris, you referred to that fatal incident. Uh, what do you mean? What was it that turned Playland into Deathland? Why, of course, it was Trish and a Olympic level headshot <laughs> from what? Well, let's say at least a two hundred yards. Give or take with a handgun, no scope. Oof, Patsy should be in the Olympics. Yeah. Do you think her um her skills and her heightened senses may be improving? I believe so. I believe so. She's definitely got a few tricks up her sleeve now. And we know she's a skilled uh, shooter as well. We know that she's been shooting for years. So she's had many, many guns. But it was kind of a what just happened there? Oh, it, it, it was certainly was. It was, certainly it was like, probably the most shocking moment to happen in 13 episodes of the season. It's, there's been a few big shocks this season, but nothing more shocking than a conversation between Jessica and Alyssa and a bullet through Alyssa's head, ending every single conversation they could ever have in their future. And every conversation they had about what they were going to do together just with one bullet shot. Yeah, it, it was an absolutely shocking moment. Yeah, yeah completely. I, I just love that they did it mid-sentence. Mm-hmm. That was the point. I did a double take because I literally, as I was watching, I reached to get a sip of water. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, took my eyes off the screen for two seconds going, this is going to be another conversation that we've heard before. <laughs> what the hell? <gasps> I was clutching my pearls. I was like, no. Your pearls. I know. I, I was like, it was a bit of a Southern Belle. I was like, oh my God. That was a terrible Southern Belle, but it was a Southern Belle. You can trust me. I was expecting the police. When you look down and see Trish standing there, I was... Aside from my joke about Trish being an Olympic-class shot at this point, I was not expecting it to be Trish who was the one who pulled the trigger, who takes out Alyssa. Mm -hmm. That was not the ending for Alyssa I was expecting. Was it the one I wanted? I don't know. Was it good? I don't know. Was it what we got and was it unexpected? Yes. That is kind of the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. The follow-up to that was the interaction with Jessica yeah. and Patsy. Oh, yeah. That was phenomenal. That was hard. Like, this was just... This episode was about the feels. Just, like, seeing the director, her decision to just frame that shot on Jessica's hand trembling on the gun mm-hmm. and slowly raising... And then going back down, slowly raising. That was gold. Yeah. That, like, just not putting it on their faces, not putting it on... Just as they talk, the anger and the, the, the welling up inside Jessica as she's lifting the gun and then bringing it down. It's like she's fighting that urge to basically kill her mother's killer. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, kill her sister. In essence, she does both. She just kills her sister. She kills the family tie with her sister. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just, oh. It's so good. I mean, I I love what Trish tries to come and explain or to at least speak to Jessica about this. And and Jessica really, she effectively says to Trisha, you know, you still have your mother before she closes the the door on her. I mean, just phenomenal stuff. And I, I have to say... Um, I'm really impressed that they have taken the three big characters for this show in terms of Malcolm, 
Trish and Jessica and have effectively scattered them to the wind in the sense that, you know, in the synopsis, I talked about them drifting apart. It's not so much of a drift, more of a cleaving Mm -hmm. uh, apart. You know, this is an absolute sheer between these three um, companions that that came together. uh, But also, you know, on one case, two sisters, on the other case, um, a, a partner with Alias Investigations, someone that she's helped protect from um, himself as, as well as from Kilgrave in season one. And I mean, this really does just separate them uh, and in such a brutal manner. And I, I really have to tip my hat to the the showrunner and to the writers for engineering that throughout the season because I think it's really good because normally you would get the notion that they come back together and it's not to say that they won't do say in a potential season three but to have it finish on that I think is really brave and um, bold writing actually um, yeah. I really like it it to me feels like absolutely right because Trish's headshot is just so sudden it's so abrupt there's no warning Mm -hmm. there's no talking her off the edge there's no even thought from trish that she will point the gun at Alyssa in order that she effectively does a citizen's arrest in some way to then put her into the raft or police custody and this is just pure assassination almost of you know she is a hell-bent hellcat at this stage just really on a mission. This is compounded with where Malcolm and Jessica's relationship is as well. There are two absolutely heartbreaking moments in these scenes. And we, we've talked about Rachel Taylor this season. She's really stepped up her game and become fantastic this season. It's just some amazing moments. This one particularly with Jessica, where she tries to explain to her, well, I did it because you were never going to. No matter how much you said you might, no matter how much you were weighing up the options as to what you might do with Alyssa, you never would have done it. So I did it for you. And she's expecting praise from Jessica. It's a beautiful moment. So well played from played from Trish. As you said, Chris, with the gun going up and down, Trish is realizing that she's lost Jessica. Trish is realizing she's an instant away from getting her own head blown off by Jessica, her sister. But the only thing restraining Jessica is that friendship, that relationship. She gets out of there very, very quickly. And Trish has realized what she's done. This is her first act as superhero Trish Walker, you know? Um, is this the way she wants to live her life? Jessica has had to make, make all those hard decisions all the way through her life and knows the cost that, com- that comes with it. Trish doesn't know the cost until this moment. So I think it's a fabulously played scene just in a few in a few lines. And the other moment is Jessica crawling back into the cabin of the Ferris wheel with the body of Alyssa and taking her mother's head in her arms as the police arrive, still holding the gun, blood going everywhere around her. It's just heartbreaking scene and to have Costa then chalk it up as the fourth life of her four lives and counting now instantly as he arrives you did the right thing Jessica you absolutely did the right thing she can't then explain to him that she didn't do it she this whole choice was taken away from her and her mother is killed in her arms you know it's it's such a distressing scene almost but beautifully played and, and really tough to watch I've seen the episode now a couple of times and it's it's tough every time that moment more than the gunshot it's that moment with jessica and, and Alyssa in the in the cabin you see that in that couple of seconds shot where 
you have the police around her and they're slowly all the the their guns are kind of turned down. It's just after Costa's doctor. Yeah. And it's panning away. And you just see Jessica just huddled there in the center of the cabin. But then you see Chris Ritten's face. Yeah. And it, that's the bit that got me. Because mm-hmm. she plays it. It's so well done. The shock, the, the tears of someone who's crying heavily. I have never lost anyone in my family that close. I'm pretty sure when I cry that deeply, I will look that bad probably a thousand times worse. They did it so well. I, you could expect that they would have gone just with the stoic Jessica. Kind of like the shock mm-hmm. has just gotten to her. And she's unresponsive. What you have is a glassy-eyed Christian Ritter. But looking like a kitten. You know, those big eyes. Just like, tell I don't know what to do. I'm yeah. just, I'm. it's pure innocence. Yeah. Of like I've just seen my mother die. It's just the fact they even give it that moment to give that the breathing room before the police arrive of her going down, confronting Trish, taking the gun, and then getting back into the cabin to have that moment with her mother. The fact that they do that and give her those moments it just adds to the scene and makes it so unbearable to watch almost um, because she has those moments to react and realize what's happened to her before you know getting cuffs thrown on her and dragged off in the police car and then explaining in the police station what happened it's instant there's that instant recognition from the cops oh you did it it's the right thing you definitely did the right thing this is what you should have done the whole time the police officers are being told to put down the firearms because costa's telling them this is what you did can you not can you not see what she did she did the right thing you know it's like all decision making is taken away from her and she's just left in this moment with her mother where her whole life has been destroyed. What she had agreed to has just gone there again. I do like that they've set up the relationship with Costa again. Costa believes she did the right thing. Mm. So now she has that relationship. Because he's like, put your weapons down. The SWAT team are like, hell no. This is a superpowered individual. She could snap her neck yeah. like she did Kilgrave within seconds, blah, blah, blah. He's the one going, put it down. Look at her. To me, we potentially have a new ally in the the NYPD in Costa again. Maybe. Like, she lost all his confidence prior. Now, I think by doing this, there's at least a shred of that relationship that's going to kind of link over to season three. Maybe. He, he does say on the phone to her, I think you're still one of the good ones. Alyssa's gone over the edge. You could still come back from this. So I think he just feels... He's probably almost taking a little bit of credit for Jessica killing Alyssa. And if they do have a relationship in the future, well, I'm not sure whether Jessica is going to be too happy with it, with the idea of having to talk about her killing her mother over and over again with this guy since she didn't do it. You know, she's going to have to justify it and protect Trish all the time with him. But that makes a nice complicated character for season three. I definitely like that. No, I think that would be the good thing. But I think certainly, you know, this is going to be a nice little bit of tension um, with Trish's character moving into season three, uh, assuming that that we get it, and I'm sure we will, uh, is this fact that she is a murderer. As you say, Derek, her first act as a superhero or a superpowered person who thinks they're a hero is a headshot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a takedown. So this is really interesting territory for me uh, for a superhero, someone who thinks um, she is a superhero. Absolutely. 
I totally agree with you, yeah. yeah. But let's move to the um, third member of, of this group, Malcolm. Mm. Um, yes, he is sharp as a button in his new suit and uh, Malcolm's plan with Jerry, our case note four. Yeah, he's continuing his Chow and Benowitz, uh investigation here. He's uh, suited and booted for effectively... Um, his pièce de résistance, where he actually has all the info that Jerry needs uh, to stack the cards up in Jerry's favour to help her win against uh, her two partners who are asking her to leave the company. And boy, does she really lay it on with them when Chow says, well, you have plenty of, of, of skeletons in your closet, Jerry. And she goes... You don't want to push uh, a woman who's fighting for her life. See how desperate she is. You know, she's got nothing to lose effectively mm-hmm. here. Um, I, I really like this. I also love Jerry effectively pulling the rug under Malcolm's little idea that he might kind of worm his way in t- to being Jerry's PI in- instead of um, maybe Jessica where she just really says, no, no, I'm not doing that, but you will be handsomely rewarded as she hands over the check, which seems to give Malcolm a lot of delight. And, of course, he is involved with her now, but just through Cheng uh, that we see later on. I absolutely want to know how much that check was for. My God, that moment between the two of them where Jerry says, and you're being handsomely rewarded for it, and he's about to protest and then looks at the number of of zeros on the check and then kind of does a little... Little jig. I don't know whether Malcolm's going to be living down the hallway from uh, from Jessica for very much longer if he gets a number of checks like that in the future. Uh, that seemed like a quite significant amount of money, at least for Malcolm. It seemed like I've never yeah. made this amount of money in my entire life and I'm getting it all in one paycheck. But I think that was a special check yes. because of effectively what Jerry was going to get out of it uh, in terms of her severance package. And I, again, that's another great little part here is that she is going to take the severance package. It's just double what they've offered her. Mm-hmm. And she's going to take her clients. And <laughs> that we see her getting this team up and running in terms of her PI. And at least you get the impression that Cheng's company is for legal stuff and that she will get Jessica in for maybe uh, slightly more grungy work um, that needs to be done. That's kind of the impression I got there. Mm. I-, I think one of the things as well was... When the bell went, and obviously it was Cheng and, and Malcolm at the door, I was actually really hoping it was going to be Danny Rand. Um, I really wanted Danny Rand to come in uh, because obviously he would be one of the customers for her still. The biggest uh, client, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the biggest client. And we would kind of get some possible resolution with regards to her medical condition that Danny you know, would would know about it through right. their conversation and potentially there would be a wink, wink, nudge, nudge and we'd wait for season two of Iron Fist. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I think they might actually save that for Iron Fist season two. Um, it's pretty much a setup now that Jerry's going to be working with Rand. That's yeah. all there. So the next time they meet, maybe it just didn't need to be in this particular episode because there was so much going on in there. But I know what That's you mean. True. That doorbell ringing and having just Danny standing at the door and that'd be the end of the time we see Jerry on the episode could have just worked really well i don't know whether you had to have a conversation between them where she catches them all up if you have that moment you know maybe it would have felt a bit light if you just had them at the door but 
there were ways to do it, but I think you can you can probably save that over till uh, Iron Fist season two. Yeah, I have to kind of say on the Chow Benowitz kind of storyline, I was kind of hoping something more than money laundering. I don't know what I was hoping for. Yeah, I don't like, know. We know we know Benowitz was like he's gay. That's a, also fantastic speech from Carrie Ann Moss. Um, just on that, for God's sakes, Benowitz, like just be come out and be gay. You'd be happier for it. Blah blah blah. Like that's that was great. Yeah, it'll be it'll uh, be so much freer, isn't it? It's it, this kind of this challenge really to Chow. I always felt throughout the season, and we mentioned it a few times that Chow is the evil side of this partnership. She's the one willing to do anything. And it feels like she's almost dragged Benowitz into this with her. He's probably an equal partner because he loves money just as much as she does and spends his money just like she does. But it feels like Chow is the leader in this partnership who are laundering money. And that feels like something in this world of Hell's Kitchen that they would be doing. They, they would be possibly laundering for Kingpin, possibly laundering for other people that we've seen in the previous shows. So, uh, so I kind of like that connection, that it was something that could have been done by the underworld bosses dealing with Daredevil coming up in season three or with Luke Cage in season two. Now that the money laundering stopped, potentially that has a knock-on effect on other shows. That could be something. True. I, I, I'm not saying that I wanted something like literally a skeleton in the closet. <laughs> I was kind of hoping maybe it was like bribing judges or like defaming the injustice system somehow. So you couldn't have you know had that I mean? because then that would have reflected badly on Jerry's name. So the, uh, that would have been really difficult for Jerry to distance herself from, wouldn't it? True, true. I loved the new look and feel for Malcolm. I think it was really, really good. Yes, it, w- it um, was really, really good. The one thing I will say, though, is why do people, when they're shaving parts of the hair off or shaving their head, not do it in like a contained space, like a bath, <laughs> where you can take over here. Why do it all over your like floor? <laughs> do you know what is fascinating about that scene with Malcolm Assad from um, from Darville the other night? That that's the first time he has actually had his hair cut in over twenty years. Um, that scene, and he had to do it on screen in front of cameras. He said at the end of the scene he was almost crying because in his family he's Australian, uh, as we know, but in his family hair is actually connected to strength. In their family, they have that kind of relationship with it. That oh, like Samson, they have yeah, similar to Samson, yeah. That he says it was hugely important that he didn't that he didn't uh, change his hairstyle over the years. He shaped it for the show, but never actually got a cut, and then had to do this in front of a whole crew of people, all joking around him about the fact that he was had to get a cut for this scene. So uh, I thought that was quite interesting. That's really cool. It's nice to see that there are these still behind the scenes pieces coming out, mm-hmm. even now after the show um, has been out for a couple of months. What I do want to talk about very quickly is Malcolm's new job. Mm-hmm. So that, that that great scene with the three of them kind of doing the, hey, you're going to have to do this, this, and this, and is that going to be a problem? And then she turns to Malcolm. Absolutely. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah. Why the hell is Cheng back there? We've talked about this character kind of being introduced bigged up and then kind of disappearing essentially until the, the sniping and then he's disappeared again and now come back in the very last episode mm-hmm. i know why they did it i was just like oh, okay now i get that you needed a home for malcolm and this is the home for malcolm yeah um it does not explain like aside from a barb to jerry about 
his bones creaking or something along those lines, kind of being still being injured. This is why this character is here, I think. This character is here is to help with the beginning, uh, just kind of the back and forth and show Jessica's ability to potentially go too far, that her rage as being an issue. Then they used him for the sniping. We've discussed that. Uh, fellow defenders, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, go back a couple of episodes. But then this is the real reason. They needed a home for Malcolm, mm-hmm. who is not licensed PI, who has no previous history. So that's why Jerry would not hire him. Mm-hmm. So he's gone to check. I'm not 100% if I'm happy with that, for the usage of the character. I'm fine with him being there, and I'm going to be really interested to see where that goes in season three, yeah. in terms of that conflict between... Malcolm and Jessica potentially working the same case. Yada yada, two conflicting views, both working for Jerry, that type of thing. Mm. But this seems that he is, he was that, the character was there for that. Those kind of pivotal scenes, the beginning and the end. Yeah. I, I'm a bit like, come on, guys, you can do better. We could have developed that character more. Maybe, maybe. And I know both of you have mentioned this actually. I'm not too sure whether Jerry's going to be working with, with Jessica ever again. Um, the situation between the two of them is right now, as we see it in this episode, is that she gave her one task saying, I'm about to die here. I need you one final time to help me out. I need you to find some dirt on Chow and Benowitz or else I will die penniless and alone. I'll be kicked out of the firm. And Jessica goes, yeah, no problem. And then does nothing for her at all. Malcolm takes that case. Malcolm finds the information. He gets the power in that situation and is put in with Chang, who effectively Jerry has had no problems with throughout this whole uh, season. She employed him to go up against Jessica. He gave the money back and then he went off on his own. She doesn't know anything about the shooting effectively because she has no connection with Jessica at all. Malcolm had no connection with Jessica at the time. So realistically, I think that moment at the end where she's explaining the kind of jobs that she wants them to do is effectively saying, I don't just want your clean agency anymore. I also want what Jessica was able to do for me. And Malcolm, you've proved that you could do a better job at that than Jessica could. That's interesting. That's a fair way of putting it. And when you frame it like that, I buy it. And actually, that's a good reason. A a small sentence of dialogue would have got that across. Yeah. And in a sense, he's off the books as well. So uh, uh, to some extent for for Jerry. Um, But it was just it was something that Jerry said where she said, that's where I would need Jessica to come in. Now, whether that was in her office around the time when she handed the check over to to Malcolm I don't know I kind of got the sense that she was indicating that Jessica had her uses in certain situations yes. and whether Malcolm is necessarily going to fully take that on I don't know but having said that there was some kind of knowing glance that was passed between the two of them when they shook hands. So that was kind of quite interesting, I thought, to see, okay, what does that mean? How How is that going to uh, pan out in the future? Yeah, the scene you're talking about with Malcolm is where he's saying to her, can I not have Jessica's job now since she wasn't able to help at all? And she's saying, no, no, Jessica does other things. But basically by pairing the two of them together, by pairing Cheng and Malcolm together, who's worked under Jessica, now they have the strength that Jessica has, plus a normal PI firm. Um, They have both of those strengths together now. So I think the line of drop dialogue that you're talking about, Chris, is that moment in the office where Jerry says to them, there's jobs that need to be done. Can you do them? And both of them agree to it. That is the line of dialogue that that was needed, I think. Yeah, okay. But 
then you have Malcolm going, is it going to be illegal? And then he goes, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, this is our usual thing. I have a problem. And then you explain it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes so much more sense. And I'm like, I need to be smarter <laughs> and watch these more. No, no, I just I just get to watch the episodes a little bit more. Maybe that's all it is. Uh, anyway, let's get on to our final case. Now, let's find out where everybody is at the end of the episode. We've talked a little bit about them, so we're probably going to repeat a little bit of them. But um, obviously, Malcolm is now working for Chang and in turn working with Jerry. So that kind of takes care of some of the major characters for the season. John, do you want to talk about Malcolm? Yeah, because I think that final scene, so we know that he's been working for Cheng and and obviously now paired up with Jerry as well. But the, there is that moment where the two ships cross in the night mm-hmm. um, and it's on in the corridor of the apartment block. Um, and it is that moment where Jessica, her words to Malcolm about him just being another person uh, down the corridor in the apartment block, that comes to life. There is just a glance at one another. There is no exchange of words. Uh, Effectively, they ignore one another. And I thought that was a a really great scene between the two of them that really brought home uh, that confrontation in the hospital corridor uh, a few episodes previously. And I, I thought that worked really well. And again, it comes back to this notion you know this this solid triangle of of these three people has been shattered to the different corners of the world and it's whether they will ever come back to form that solid triangle again and defeat evil yeah, yeah. in a kind of yes. a lord of the rings kind of a way or defender um, season 2 or way. a defender season <laughs> 2 way so i really thought that scene absolutely was really spot on really beautiful i i have to agree with you on that i was hoping for jessica to do a faint like almost like turn around to or open her mouth or almost do something because we had heard her diet in her monologue prior to this um but she doesn't and i think it's the right thing to do yeah. when we cover these seasons we get very in depth with the characters and there, there, there's a bond between us because we're literally trying to rip apart these characters and analyze them and their relationships and stuff. So I think that was more my want was them to even that the first steps or, or the inch had been placed where you see Jessica just open her mouth but doesn't say anything or something like that. But what we get was a lot more satisfactory towards the story and the previous scene. Mm-hmm. The ships passing in the night. Yeah, I have to agree. This this was perfect. I, I agree, Chris. I still like that Jessica's just standing by her words. She said, the next time I see it, you're just some guy down the, down the corridor from me. And that's exactly what Malcolm is. If you hadn't seen the previous 12 episodes or two seasons of the show and just seen that scene, it would look like that's just another neighbor. She's just passing by in the hallway. You know, really, really good scene. Uh, do you want to take Trish, Chris? I do, because this was pointed out to me by uh, yourself, actually. Um, I think I pretty much described the scene a couple of episodes ago. You said at, later on the season, we're going to have a moment where Hellcat's uh, lying in her bed and she knocks her phone off the side of a table and it falls to the floor. But no, it would have, would have fallen to the floor except she catches it in her hand. Uh, that is almost exactly, except for the fact that she's standing vertically and walking down a corridor, almost exactly what happens in this scene. And uses her foot instead of her hand. But in theory, if she was a cat, it would just be another paw. So therefore I win. <laughs> your, your superpower is obviously being a clairvoyant. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I was really happy for this. It was. I know it was... So cliche, and we called it out, and I knew it was coming, but it was still good to see 
that knowing smile just shoot across Trish's face mm-hmm. as she steps into the elevator. You know she's literally going home to just try flipping and running up walls <laughs> and testing her powers. Yep. Um, this was good. Guys, it's official. We have Hellcat in season three. Her pa- She is a now powered individual. What strength, what level, question marks all abound. Yep. Trish will have a superhero persona in season three. Potentially, yeah. Be it as mass, not mass, we can, that's all to be seen. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you right now, Chris, we might have thought it was coming. It may be something that you predicted. It may have been a trope. Even if we were told it was going to come, would you have predicted it would be the last scene at the end of episode 13 of season two of the show? <laughs> like, no, that's I true. I no. absolutely thought if we were going to get this, we'd get it in episode five, yeah. and the rest of the season would be spent tooling Trish up so she can join the fight. Whether that be with Jessica or not, I still expected it to happen at some point earlier in the season. I absolutely didn't expect that in the last moment. So, in fact, when it happened, I was going, did I just see that? Did what? Did that moment yeah. just happen now? Like like two minutes before the end of the episode, credits about to roll. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's right. a level three warrior, probably, <laughs> at this stage. And she will gradually build to level 10 over the course of season three. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk about that. And kind of towards the end and towards when we kind of do our bit of a wrap up on season two. Am I happy with the placement? Hell no. (laughs) Hell cat no. No, exactly. Um, (laughs) That was so bad. But we got the placement. Mm -hmm. This is the important step in this character in the show. Because essentially what we're getting now is multiple heroes within Jessica Jones. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I wanted to take it to, and we briefly mentioned it, the Dorothy-Trish relationship. What we don't see is the text back, the answer. So Trish receives a text message from Dorothy. And it was just dinner tonight, I think it was something like that. Or do you want to come for dinner? We don't see the response. The reason I like this, question mark, is... We don't know what this their relationship is now going into into season three. Interesting. Have they fell back into literally Dorothy controlling Trish's life, like yeah. PRing her, organizing everything, or do we have the Dorothy arrangement that they were at the end of season one or midway season two? That is an interesting part, especially now that Trish doesn't have Jessica. Mm-hmm. So all we know now is Trish is jobless, potentially superpowered. And might have an on again, off again relationship with her mother. We TBC, but it's an interesting place to leave that. It it is because I definitely thought that she probably had text back saying yes, because that then made me jar as to the fact that she's just come from that conversation with with Jessica. Maybe in that moment when her mum sends the text, she realizes that yes, she still does have her mum despite the absolute nightmare that she is and so goes to say yes that that was my initial thought but you're right it may not have been that at all um and she still has the same old same old relationship with uh with dorothy walker so yeah that 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 would be interesting whether she values her more more now because she's put a headshot through jessica's (laughs) <laughs> it is a little twisted i have to say but nonetheless you know this is really important for her and jessica's relationship because well how do you come back from 
any of, of that that's that's happened yeah. and it's probably that you can't but yeah. we do see here as well right at the end jessica forging her way into a new life after seeing the reality of what she would normally do yeah and i, I really liked that scene when she's sitting in her office and we can talk about the superhero part in a bit because I really enjoyed that part. But when she's sitting in her office and she's just working away, looking at the photos, and she's taking the swig of tin cup. Uh, there's your whiskey watch, boys, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was the whiskey of choice in this season, I think. Yeah, many, many bottles. What we see is Jessica questioning the alcohol. I think the question that had been posed to Jessica earlier on the season is, do you, do you want to spend the rest of your life doing what you're doing right now, or do you walk downstairs and spend time with a family? This, this is what was posed earlier on in that scene with Oscar as well. We have Jessica here after the most traumatic thing that's happened since her mom died when she was a kid. Her mom got shot again by her sister. Um, we have her going back to her normal life. We have her walking into a really crappy shop to buy her tin cup, stopping a robbery, going back to her desk, sitting back down, and then filling up and bourbon again. She has this breakout moment where she goes, but there's something downstairs that I'm just not taking and I'm not accepting. This guy's invited me to his house many times now. All I have to do is take that step, and she takes that step. It's it's a beautiful final moment for the scene. I really love that she breaks the cycle that she's been in for the last 17 years on her own, that anybody else's help, she makes that decision to just step up from the desk, walk out that door, and possibly change her life forever. Question. Is Oscar around for the long haul? Do we see him in season three? I think the good thing is Jessica might. And that's that's kind of a huge change for Jessica to have that decision that something might happen here, to put herself in a situation where she might get her heart broken again. Um, that's not really just been Jessica's MO for this season so far, so... And it's also that new life after having um, closed the door in, in Trisha's face, not really wanting to talk to her about anything um, that she wants to, uh, and walking past Malcolm, who used to be effectively her associate mm-hmm. and who she protected. So, yeah, I think it's important that she thinks Oscar will be around for the long haul. Whether he survives, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Well, quite sad note, but also a happy turning of events for Jessica. Uh, I believe it's time we go into our notes. Does anyone have any notes for this episode? Only one that I have is because we talked about it for many, many episodes this season. Alias Investigations not only stayed intact for the entire season, it got its final coat of varnish in this episode from Malcolm. So so we were totally wrong. No door got smashed. No cracking of the wall that Malcolm had, had created from the beginning. We actually get it all finished off in this episode back to pristine Alice Investigations condition uh, with a new window inside of the house. Yes, with the cleanest brush yes. or piece of foam on a lollipop stick that I've ever seen. <laughs> I presume that's so you don't get the brush lines from a, a traditional brush. But nonetheless, I don't think that brush had gone anywhere near that varnish. <laughs> no, no, neither do I. I know we called it out earlier with Jerry and that yoga structure. Oh, absolutely. That was just beautiful. But it was it was a very funny scene and i wasn't expecting it for the end of the episode okay no more notes gentlemen no i i I don't think so i think with that derek do you defend this episode of jessica jones episode 13 aka playland this is a really interesting final episode for a season i think at the end of season one i defended 
episode 13 and all of the season and saying it's one of my favorite shows I've ever watched from particularly Marvel Netflix. This is kind of similar. These are still my favorite characters. I felt like I needed more episodes. The episode itself is perfect. It ties everything up really well for the next episode and the next season. Um, It does a great job of setting up our characters for their next adventure, for the next place they're going to be. That's not what season one did. Season one had a bit of finality to it, saying, if we don't see Jessica until Defenders, which was almost two years, and this season's almost three years, it gave a finality to say, here's your story. It's wrapped up. It was great. Really enjoyed it. Can't wait to see a bit more. This was much more a feeling for me of, I enjoyed it. I want to see more next week. I need another episode. I need another two or three episodes to see a bit more of these characters. It was a brilliant episode. The episode itself, I entirely defend. I think overall, as a final finale episode, it felt like it was leading into something else next week. Um, that's probably where I where I land on it. Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I'm exactly there with you, Dirk. <laughs> Literally, you took the words from my mouth. I defend this episode... I defend it for being one of the most sad, emotional episodes of this season. Mm -hmm. Of just, the acting was spectacular, the cinematography. If you take away the plot point and just base it on the acting, the, the, the actual work, the body of work itself. This was my favorite episode of the whole season. Mm -hmm. But my God, did they literally leave it as, as you said, Tune in next week for more hijinks from Jessica and Hellcat. And that's not what they should have done at all. They left it too open-ended. You needed that finality of a season to it. Mm-hmm. That, like, you can leave parts open like they did with IGH, but it was missing that. So from an emotional standpoint, from a character standpoint, I defend it. Right. For a finality, I do not. And and can I just clarify as well, just to say the episode itself, totally a defend, obviously. I think there's nothing wrong with this as the final episode of the season either. It's just that this episode should be episode 10 or episode 11 of the season. That's, if this episode had been moved up the season and we had three or four more episodes afterwards, perhaps it would have worked as a season overall. But nothing wrong with the episode. I don't think there's anything they could have done in this episode other than killing all the characters right at the end to make it give it more finality it's just they had developed the characters a lot slower throughout the season so having this as the ending feels like hopefully we'll get another season in six months time which we know we're not getting so we're gonna at least have to wait a year to get another bit of jessica jones and that sucks after this season no i agree this season had problems you and me are on the same wavelength with this there's a massive pacing issue even though i do defend but on that john do you defend this episode Jessica Jones, Season 2, Episode 13, a.k.a. Playland. I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Um, I think you guys have probably said similar thoughts uh, to that I have myself in, in relation to it being a good episode. Um, whether it's the right finale it, it is different. Whether it, it, it makes that, I don't know. But I would give this um, four blood-splattered Ferris wheels out of five. Um I I really enjoyed the sort of the parallels between Dorothy and uh, Trish along with Alyssa and Jessica uh, in this episode and ultimately that being um, sort of abruptly wrenched with the headshot to Alyssa's 
head by Trish. And then obviously the fragmentation of, of these two characters really from a point where I don't necessarily see that they can come back from. It would have to be something really special moving forward. So I, I really liked that. I thought it was pretty ballsy of uh, the show to, to really have that impact between these two characters and indeed then with um what has happened between these two characters uh, and malcolm earlier on in the season and just to get that flavor back um of that as well i thought was really really good so i I definitely defend this episode of jessica jones uh, and i would certainly agree with you guys that maybe it almost just set itself up to go into an episode 14 straight away Mm -hmm. rather than possibly leaving it on the moment that the bullet went through Alyssa's head and the whole aftermath of Playland. But maybe that would have been a bit too desperate um, to have left it on that note. So, uh, yeah, definitely defend this episode. Especially if it was going to be two years to the next season. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a tough ride to go if we had that that uh, that heavy of a cliffhanger at the end of the show. Imagine if it was just fade to black. Gunshot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all you hear. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Like, uh, Terrifying. And we would have hated it, but amazing. Like Dallas back in the 80s. Yeah. It? With that, some postseason feedback on the entirety of Jessica Jones Season 2. We're back with our feedback. Yes, we really wanted to make sure we got everyone's views, comments, observations, discussion points in for this postseason feedback on the entirety of Jessica Jones. So we are here and back with this postseason feedback. The feedback came through from all different streams from our Facebook group. You can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast through our email at feedback at Defenders TV podcast.com. And of course, from our Twitter over at Defenders cast. But first off, we have through email from Lieutenant Floby. Wow, just wow. I can't believe Trish shot Jessica's mum. That is just messed up. I love this season, and although the final episode was really very sad, I'm not sure a happy ending does this show justice. As was mentioned in your episode 11 review, this show likes to steer hard into the comic book tropes and then subvert them, and boy did they. I'm very sad to see that Trish, Jessica, and Malcolm have parted ways, and Jerry sure went dark. Mm -hmm. Overall, this was a great season, and still my favourite Marvel Netflix show. I want more. At this point, I could care less about plot. I just want to watch these incredibly well-written and acted characters all year. See you guys on the next movie show, Lieutenant Floby. Thank you, Lieutenant Floby. Yes, uh, I thought it was really good that these three big characters parted ways. uh, But I definitely also get your point that I want to kind of jump straight into episode 14 here of Jessica Jones Mm. uh, season two and and just see how this plays out. But of course, we'll have to wait till season three, which has been confirmed. That's Uh, So that's really, really good news. We will get season two, episode 14 at some point in the future uh, yet to be determined. I know. Let's hope it's not another three years because I'm totally with you here, Floppy. This is one of those shows that did a great job with the characters, really liked spending time with them. I don't want to spend more time with them, as I said in my kind of wrap-up uh, in this original episode. I want to spend more time with them, and I don't want to wait two and a half years or three years for the next episode that we see of these guys. Uh, I, I'd say I think we're two. I think we're going to have to admit that it's going to be probably two years. 
Well, I know that they're doing three shows a year now for Netflix, aren't they? So yeah. Um, so it is possible it'll be a little bit quicker. Hopefully, it will be. It felt like Jessica Jones was kind of pushed out because of Defenders being released and because of the second season of Daredevil, um, that they kind of pushed it out a little bit further than it probably originally was planned. So hopefully they've got plans for a season three to come down the line a bit quicker. It is so weird watching normal cable TV shows where, you know, a show finishes in June or May and then it starts up again in September. And that's pretty much what it always goes on for four or five seasons. Whereas with the Netflix shows, you have no idea when it's coming back at all. Can't even pinpoint a year on it, which is always quite difficult to watch them that way. If we think about it, so we've got... Luke Cage, June. Um, we have Iron Fist. Uh, no date confirmed, but we, we we can make an assumption most likely it's going to be in the fall. Maybe. Uh, we remember Daredevil season three also has finished filming, so um that's So that's the that's the bit I'm confused yeah. at where are they going both are now completely finished filming. Mm-hmm. And it's just where are they gonna where are they going to throw the two? Yes. Which are we thinking is Daredevil in the fall, or are we thinking Iron Fist? If we know he's in Luke Cage season two, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like, are they going to do a flow through? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I kind of think that Daredevil is probably the, still the most popular of the Netflix shows, even though they don't release their ratings. I think because he's the first, he's probably gets his his season comes first. I think. Um, and yeah, maybe you do space out Iron Fist a little bit from since he's going to be in at least one episode of uh, of Luke Cage. You probably space that out a little bit uh, to get the next season of Iron Fist, but that might be the one that we'll see in spring next year. You just have no idea with Netflix. Sometimes it's uh, it'll just be released and dropped um, two days after they announce the date of it. So uh, you never know. You never know. But looking forward to it. Thanks so much for that feedback, Floby. Uh, we also got some feedback over on Twitter from Gregory Pang. He says, love the podcast, guys. Here's my thoughts on Jerry Hogarth after Jessica Jones 212. I love the character story this season, but wow, does she ever represent all the absolute worst lawyer stereotypes. She had an affair with her secretary, does cocaine and hires hookers, and (laughs) she was going to sue her own client, Jessica Jones, representing Cheng, which is a massive conflict of interest, then unilaterally disobeyed Cheng's instructions and deciding not to sue Jessica Jones after all, disloyalty to the client, soliciting a new client, being Shane Ryback, who she knew already had a lawyer, and saying she'd get him out of jail, Rules against solicitation and promising specific legal results. Threatening to put Shane back in jail regarding another assault charges. Disloyal to the client again and potential breach of privilege. Illegally obtaining a firearm from Turk. Being an accessory to Inez's murder of Shane. Hogarth should be disbarred. But she's super rich, so maybe I'm just jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, Yes, showing the darker side of Jerry Hogarth here from Gregory. Um... Ah, I really like that breakdown of everything she's done that could possibly have gotten her disbarred. I suspect she wouldn't have gotten that from Matt Murdock, who is purer than pure. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of the absolute polar extreme uh, of Matt Murdock here. But well, probably not. I'd love to know, hear Gregory's thoughts on whether Matt Murdock really um, should be disbarred or not as well. Well, that's true. Yeah, I know, I know the whole thing about Daredevil is that if he doesn't win a case... Um, if Matt Murdock doesn't win a case, effectively Daredevil goes out and beats them up at night is kind of the, kind of the main part of his of that protagonist. So maybe that's also a bit of a conflict yeah, of interest. Absolutely. But also you have to you have to ask is where's the proof? <laughs> In a court of law, yes. proof is nine tenths, I'm assuming, Gregory. So you, you gotta tell me, where's the proof? 
It's all hearsay that she's done this. Yes. Well, in some ways, actually, uh, there's an element of covering her tracks here because she's gotten Ryback shot, <laughs> so he can't uh, talk about the misdeeds that maybe Jerry has done. Inez is going to be put away in prison and similarly was involved in um, bribery against her or fraud or, or whatever in terms of um, nicking all their stuff. So I wonder if she's kind of slightly covered her tracks here I, in all of this, we, other than the Cheng and Jessica Jones element. We are absolutely not qualified to discuss the No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm just trying to throw a few hoops here and probably miss completely. Possibly. Exactly. We're not qualified, but by God, it's fun. <laughs> Moving over to Facebook, we've got a host of feedback. The first up was Jamie Young. She went on to say, I have very mixed thoughts on this season. On one hand, it was not what I expected. I assumed IGH would be a worldwide organization that would end up being ultimately responsible for all the powers of these Marvel and Netflix characters, minus Danny Rand. I thought IGH could be a big bad of Defenders Season 2. Maybe that could still happen, but it was not alluded to that I recall. That's okay, though. I liked Carl, and I'm glad he was actually trying to do good things, even if it was out his patient's consent. Overall, Season 2 lacked the same intensity that Season 1 had, and that was disappointing. Season 1 set a high bar, so I'm not really surprised. I think it just felt a little redundant to still be delving into Jessica's past. That being said, I did really love the complicated relationship between Jessica and her mother, even if it wasn't a standard hero versus villain conflict we usually get from a comic book show. Mm. I know what it's like to have an overbearing parent who I both love dearly and feel the need to keep at a healthy distance at times, so I thought the tension between the two women felt natural and realistic. While maybe not everyone's cup of tea, I think it was actually quite courageous of Melissa Rosenberg to explore this dynamic. I also really, really love the expansion of Trish and Malcolm's characters. I like that Jessica, Trish and Malcolm are basically no longer speaking to each other. They each have their own storylines now, completely different from where they were at the end of season one. And of course, I have to mention the closing scene with Jessica sitting down to dinner with Oscar and Vito. I love that the season ends with Jessica finding herself a new family and being open to whatever that may entail. I mean, who knows how long it will last, but it feels like Jessica can finally move forward and I have high hopes for season three. P.S. I'm glad we got cameos from Turk and Foggy. But where were the Claire and Detective Mahoney? Yes, thank you so much, Jamie, for that feedback. IGH, I think we've talked about this before. Yep. I was expecting a, a very similar to you. I think we all were expecting a, a larger, shadowy kind of government agency or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. The thing is, IGH is fractured. Carl Malice is one part of it. We know there's two other doctors. One is dead. Uh, actually, both are dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, both had different avenues. Kozlov was involved with the, the military, so there is still that yeah. potential for IGH, the shadowy military, paramilitary organization. Yeah, I think it can come back, yeah, I think, uh, as we as we mentioned. But, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's been actually set up in this season that it will be back in Jessica Jones Season 3 or in Defenders 2, if there is a Defenders 2. Yeah, I don't, and also I don't know if I want it. I think it's at this point I'm like, I want to see what else you can give me. Okay, you've been... You, you've closed the chapter there, and it's, it was a great ending to a chapter. Mm-hmm. But I want to see what you can do for the rest of the chapters. Yeah, yeah. If you understand what and I, mean. I think this is 
part of the challenge, I think, with Jessica Jones, and myself and John were talking about this between yeah. when we recorded the final episode and, and when we're back for the, for the feedback, part of the challenge with Jessica Jones is actually about the expectation that's there. This is a comic book show. It's based on a comic book, at least. But there is an expectation that it's going to have a villain. It's going to have um, this battle moment between the villain and the hero. And Jessica Jones as a show and as a comic book isn't really like that. It always has been about the character of Jessica Jones fighting against her inner demons or some external pressures that have informed the character. Whereas this show, if you sit it alongside Daredevil season two, for example, which had two big villains and lots of battles every couple of episodes, it's just not that type of show. So it does kind of suffer a little bit, I suppose, from all of our own expectations of what we want to see in a superhero show. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, but I do think season one had Kilgrave, mm-hmm. you know, and that was the intensity, I think, that I would kind of get from what ja- Jamie was saying. Yeah. The intensity came from a big bad, which was Kilgrave, but she was also fighting her inner demons, working out her relationships. But I think in this season, that's what was brought to the fore by Melissa Rosenberg. And, and I kind of agree with Jamie. I, I think that's really courageous to do. But I do think it is, in some ways really consistent with the alias comic books as well. Mm-hmm. You know, someone like Kilgrave doesn't appear right at the start, appears right in the middle, and is only around for four issues, you know, or five issues or something like that. Um, it, what I mean is it was a small run, and they used that as the basis for season one. Yeah. And here we really, um, I think, get a, maybe a truer flavor of um, the alias comics, actually, where it's looking more at, Jessica Jones and her inner demons and her PI investigation and so on. And I think, um, I think it is very different. I think this, I think I said very early on, this felt very intimate. It was intimate between Jessica and her mother, but also with Malcolm and Trish in the sense of, you know, where these relationships went, that we have them absolutely blown apart at the end between uh, Jessica, Trish and Malcolm. And of course, with the tragedy of her mother. So I really, really did enjoy that. But I do think it would come below season one for for me Mm -hmm. uh, if I were to rank them. I think the other thing as well is, you know, season one really did link in by having Mike Coulter uh, and Luke Cage as a really central cameo. Like, I love the cameos from Turk and Foggy, don't get me wrong, but Luke Cage's cameo within the season of season one, Jessica Jones, really felt meaningful and, yeah. and of course springboarded then into Luke Cage and of course this season didn't have really anything like that either mm-hmm. um, as I say I was kind of expecting around Jerry maybe some more Iron Fist and Danny Rand elements but again um, you know that wasn't the case so that was another element of this season that wasn't the uh, compared to season one I yeah. think um, yeah. and I, I, for me I think Jamie kind of summed up uh, a lot of what I thought about this season. So, yeah, it was, it was good, uh, good analysis uh, of the season as a whole. Yeah, and I have to say, I know that Claire Temple didn't appear in this season. I don't think it would have worked very well. I don't think Jessica and Claire sp- really got on that well when we saw them last together in uh, in Defenders. So it would have felt really shoehorned if she'd gone to her with Trish, for example. Uh, it would have felt really weird rather than bringing her to an actual hospital to deal with her problems that she would have gone to 
to Claire Temple with Trish to sort her out uh, with a couple of bandages. Um, Detective Mahoney, on the other hand, I think he absolutely could have fit into this show. He should have kind of been there in the police station working with Costa. Uh, Sunday and Costa, yeah, possibly. That would have worked as a, as a good cameo. I think the challenge that Jessica Jones has is that the character is kind of seen as the eyes of the audience in a world of superheroes a lot of the time in the comic books. You kind of get her dealing with things like having a child and um, and dealing with all these superpowered people around her, like the Avengers all the time. And they're not going to be able to do that on Netflix. You're not going to be able to have Iron Man walking into the room with Jessica Jones or Captain America or any of those big superheroes walking into the room. And that's a lot of what the character has been written, a lot of how the character has been written in the past. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how they continue to push this character forward and not being able to use that big part of what, of how the character's written in the comic books. I'm kind of intrigued to see how they do that, but did enjoy the season, and thanks so much for your feedback, Jamie. Alexander Anderson responded saying, I think you summed that up quite well, Jamie. I agree that this season wasn't quite the intensity of season one, but overall I enjoyed season two, and I'm very excited to see where all of our favourite characters will be in season three, especially Trish. Hope we don't have to wait another three years to find out. Yeah, totally agree with you, Alex. Yet Dave Horrocks comes in and goes, My overall thoughts are that I did enjoy this season, but it falls well short of the first. There's a line in Kingsman's Secret Service that the movie is only as good as the villain. And this is what let down this round of Jessica Jones. I did like Malcolm and Trisha's growth too, though, and we'll be watching the next season if and when it comes up. Well, it's great to see that we do have a season three confirmed, Dave. So, uh, yes, there will be, as I say, an episode 14 of season two. (laughs) Moving on. Fellow defender Claire Payne had this to say with her feedback. What an emotional end to a great season. I would defend every single episode. I think the only thing that was odd was Cheng trying to kill JJ's mum, and I'm disappointed it wasn't someone from IGH. I feel that all characters face change in their lives that they had to embrace and accept to move on. JJ and her mum using their powers to help a family escape a car crash was good to watch, and seeing her mum finally living after being in prison for so long. An incredibly sad ending to Alyssa's life. Jerry's storyline was very good and I really enjoyed her revenge on Inez. I would have tracked down my Hermes Birkin black tote bag too. Trish was certainly cray cray going to that extreme to get herself superpowers and it looks like it almost worked. I am so happy for Malcolm going freelance. Such an intense scene as JJ passed him in the hallway of their apartment and not a word was said. I really liked how JJ made herself go and have dinner with Oscar and his son and they made it so easy and comfortable for her to join them. Thanks for the great podcast, guys. And actually listening to you discuss episode seven made me even like it more. Thanks so much for that, Claire. Yeah, it's always good when uh, when we get that kind of feedback saying that uh, our podcast allows you to enjoy an episode a bit more. Hopefully we're not just uh, indoctrinating you into our Cult of Defenders TV podcast where we're making you like something you don't like. Um, but yeah, after looking up Hermes Birkin bags on the internet uh, and seeing <laughs> one for about 80 grand, uh, yeah, I'd track down and kill anybody that stole that from my house. Yes. Like, you can get a wallet for about a grand, Chris. And a really tacky baseball key ring for like over a grand. Mm-hmm. And it looks cheap as anything. <laughs> but I'm sure the bags are the same. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, next piece of feedback comes from Jim Carrey. He says, I was disappointed in the few crossovers in this episode. A cameo by Fagi Nelson, Avocado at Law. I forget anyone else, but really hoped for some cage time. The estrangement of Jess and Patsy was too reminiscent of Matt and Franklin, who will be left to take Jessica's side next time. Ah, the repercussions of paredness. 
the landlord relationship felt a bit ham-handed and obligatory, and they fell short of making the dude's teeth sparkle and chime. Overjoyed with Malcolm's development, loved the Kilgrave element, sure got less screen time than I'd imagined, but I was pleased with that. The cop who expressed being traumatised by Kilgrave's forcing him and the rest to raise a gun to his own head and how that trauma stopped was a great moment. I sure hope a few viewers started with season two and went back to enjoy season one. Yeah, thanks, Jim, for for the feedback. Certainly, yeah, it would have been really interesting to have had some cage time. I, I really agree with you there. Um, I, I thought that was what was really good in season one, just integrating uh, them a bit more meaningfully into that story rather than just simply, um, you know, a very short cameo. However much I like the Foggy cameo um, and maybe uh, even the if Claire temple had been there you know it would have been short and so on and it would have been great absolutely but i I think that was a really good thing about season one of jessica jones is that not only with everything else going on there was that meaningful introduction of cage uh, having really meaningful moments that really springboarded into then the the luke cage show so definitely uh, agree there and and also i think uh, less so with oscar um i i felt Cheng was the more ham-handed of these. It would have been nice to have had some more development of him. He was Mm kind of just uh, plonked in and out as appropriate. And then he did something that really uh, just came out of the blue with the the gunshot um, and didn't really seem to to make sense uh, for me, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tina Brown goes on and says... I really can't decide how I feel about this season. It had pacing problems that drove me nuts and a tendency to hammer their themes into the ground. But the moments that were great were the best the show has ever been. I was frustrated. Season one was much more even and I just preferred the story it told. I feel like the entire show got away from being both a comic book action show and a noir type suspense show in favour of being flat out drama and a family drama at that. And that's not why I watch Marvel on Netflix. The actors all stepped up and were better than ever. And if character development appeals to you, you got it exploding all over the place. But the plot was waffer thin. What did it boil down to? After a couple of red herrings, uh, we find out Jessica's mum is alive and a killer. We see her try to live in the world and she can't. She is incarcerated and that doesn't work out. She dies. Nothing else really happens. I think season three has to pick up the pace and tell an actual story. Um, Thanks, Tina, for that. I do think that with Alicia and and Jessica's relationship, I think it impacted and and spread out uh, to Trish and to Malcolm. You know, it was kind of a domino effect here, really. Uh, And so I think that was an extra dimension to this character development between jessica and her mom but also the impacts that that had on uh, trish and jessica and and jessica and malcolm and in fact even on trish and malcolm so i i think there was probably more that that um mother daughter uh scenes and, and and elements to this season had on the wider season of jessica jones uh for season two um and I do think that there were pacing problems, absolutely, that I think ultimately we did get a lot of hammering out of similar themes. I mean, for example, the discussion of Jessica and Alyssa in the back of the camper van about whether to put her in the raft, go to Mexico, go to Canada, or or, or get her locked up. I think we'd had that in the jail. 
uh, previously. Um, and we've had these moments, I agree, I think, repeated several times. Um, and, and maybe it could have been done in a slightly different way, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Uh, I, I would agree with you on that. And I think you're right, Tina. I think the show this season has been much more about developing the characters to set them up for something in the future. Kind of as we've said before, um, as opposed to it being this evil villain is trying to do is trying to accomplish X thing and Jessica has to stop that evil villain it did much more feel like this is Jessica Jones as a character and this is where she's going to end at the end of the season. This is Trish, this is Malcolm, this is Oscar, this is Jerry, and this is where they're all going to end at the end of the season. That's kind of what it felt like. So yeah, it doesn't feel like a traditional comic book show. Yep. Tina also uh, says, does anyone else think Jerry tries to get Foggy to follow her to a new firm? Jerry may not have a lot of good character qualities, but unless she's not as smart as I think she is, she's sharp enough to realize how valuable those qualities can be. And she knows Foggy has them in abundance. Just a feeling not all clients will warm to her, shall we say. Abrasive personality, and she must know that. That would be a really good development here, I think, to bring Foggy into Jerry's uh, new firm. Mm-hmm. It, it really would be uh, a nice development here. And I'm, I would be with you. I really hope that happens. So we'll just have to see. Yeah. I think the fact that Jerry handpicked him and specifically gave him the offer to move to the firm of uh, Hogarth, Benowitz and Chow, I does feel like she would probably take him along with her. I know we had that conversation where she was setting up the offices, uh, so she does sound like she has a pretty big office to f- to fill up. And also she has 62% of the business, so it seems like there's probably going to be a fair few lawyers that will be let go by Chow and Benowitz uh, from their firm because they don't have the business to keep them on. So, yeah, absolutely, I can see that. But do you wonder whether Foggy may get made redundant from the, the that firm? And that might move him back towards Matt, Matty Maybe. Um, and the avocados at law. Maybe. So it could be also a, a driver for bringing Foggy back uh, to, with Matty uh, and their law firm. Maybe, maybe. And just while I was putting together the final cut of this episode of Jessica Jones, our final review for the series, I got a voicemail in from Ryan about the season of Jessica Jones. I want to make sure it got included as well. Hey guys, it's Ryan here. Uh, this is going to be my review of season two of Jessica Jones. Uh, all in all, I did like it, but unfortunately it will be down the bottom of the list with the Iron Fists because I felt that they dragged this season a little bit. They probably could have had uh, another big bad. I know we had Jessica's mum as the big bad this season. Um, I wasn't over impressed with the storyline so much. It was good. It was good. I like your Cray Cray was a really good episode and uh, obviously the episode with Kilgrave, I can't remember what that's called, but for me that was the best episode and the most disappointing episode in the same sentence, simply because whoever released or got hold of the pictures and got them out there with Kilgrave, for me that was a really, really big spoiler and rather annoying. Remember how we all felt when we saw uh, Fisk and I think it was season two of Daredevil and we weren't expecting him? That was really good. So I think Netflix should have done a bit more to try and keep it under wraps for that that uh, episode, sorry, for this season. But all in all, it was Jessica Jones. It was good. I'll be back. It's Marvel. Thank you guys for a good 13 episode review as usual. And I'll see you for Luke Cage in June. Take care, guys. Thanks so much for your feedback, Ryan. I think you're very much on the same page as us. Uh, that episode of Jessica Jones with Kilgrave in it, that was episode 11. Um, 
Three Lives and Counting. But yeah, I totally agree with you. If they just hadn't released that photograph of Kilgrave, we got a huge surprise appearance of him in this season, in just that episode, it would have made so much more of an impact. Definitely. Totally agree with you. Um, and yeah, well, we're definitely going to be back for season three, despite some misgivings about this season so far. Uh, it has been fun to just spend time with the characters again. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks so much for your feedback again, Ryan. Dr. Bob, a.k.a. Robert Phillips, our fellow defender, had came in with our final piece of feedback for this episode and obviously this season. What an episode, a.k.a. the one where we tie things up by letting all the relationships fray. <laughs> Delighted by the new Jerry, wearing white now her thing, and horrified but excited to see where Malcolm goes. The inevitable death of Alyssa wasn't what I saw coming. Like Jessica, I thought she'd die in a car crash rescue. But poetic and in keeping with the season. And the best bits, the Hellcat, two of nine lives, the the Chris Jones predicted reflexes. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Trish's story is very intriguing. Finally, for me, the hope of a happy family ending and the certain knowledge it would be destroyed in season three. (laughs) Yes, Dr. Rob, thank you so much. I am so happy I predicted these back in episode two, three, four, somewhere around that. Uh Yeah, Jerry and White. I didn't cop it until the end there, yeah. Good catch, Robert Phillips. Yes, I uh, didn't notice that. And it was pointed out earlier on in the season that she always wears black. That's her That's her costume, almost, uh, for Jerry Hogarth. So, yes. Uh, good catch there at the end. Thanks so much to all of our fellow defenders for all that amazing feedback. I uh, wanted to make sure, as John said, to, that we paused and held back to do this final feedback recording so that we got all of your thoughts in on the, on Season 2 of Jessica Jones. Some mixed thoughts there, I think, but I think everybody's pretty much on the same page that the acting in the show has been fantastic. The writing overall has been great, but just a little bit um, of regret that this is the only story they told within this one season that we were kind of all hoping for a little bit bigger of a story for the second season. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, yeah. It's really great to get so much feedback. Uh, And just as a recap, you can send in any of your views on any aspect of the Marvel Netflix series through Twitter at DefendersCast, email feedback at Defenders TV Podcast. You can send voicemail through over on DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just go to the voicemail button on the right-hand side and leave 90 seconds of feedback. And, of course, you can head on over to the website as well to subscribe, leave a review, uh, and rate the podcast on your drunken or sober podcast catcher of choice uh, remember please share the love share the podcast um, and of course there will be many more podcasts coming up with luke cage coming in june as well as our continued coverage and closing out of the doctor strange damnation uh, series as part of the damnation event over on marvel with our fellow podcasters over on Into the Night, Sons of the Dragon, and Inner Demon podcasts as well. Yes, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us for these 13 episodes of Jessica Jones. There's loads, loads more to come this year, as John mentioned. Luke Cage coming 22nd of June is probably the next big Netflix piece coming. But of course, there's nothing bigger than Avengers Infinity War coming out at the end of April. Can't wait to discuss that one with you. And as John said, we go even smaller with uh, with Doctor Strange Damnation, some some wonderful Doctor Strange comics that we've had had great fun talking about uh, throughout this season as well. 
Yeah, that's in the week of the 28th of April with our discussions then on Damnation Issue 4 and the Doctor Strange Issue 389. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you so much. I can't but echo my two co-hosts with saying thank you to our fellow defenders for interacting with us, sharing your feedback, and of course just listening to us. Thank you so much, guys. And we'll speak to you very soon. Need we say more? Bring on the Affinity War. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, fellow Defenders. Talk to you again soon. Yes, as always, thank you so much for listening. It's been great having you for Jessica Jones Season 2. And we will be back with you again shortly when we cover Doctor Strange movie number three, Avengers Infinity War. (laughs) Bye.